for letting us be here and to study your word, Lord. This is, a, this is a very mysterious book in the sense that, Lord, it's, it's just so early on in history. We, we want to understand it, Father. We want to, to understand it correctly. Lord, we pray that you'll bless your word to us, that you'd forgive us for our sins and fill us with your Holy Spirit. That, Father, we pray that you would bless this country, help our elected leaders and officials to do what's right in your sight. Please bless our servicemen and women, Lord, and keep them safe. And, Father, we pray that you'll bless your church around the world and help all of your people, Father, that are suffering in any way, shape, or form. Help those who are living in countries where they cannot worship you openly or living in some type of disaster. Help those who are hungry and poor, those who are depressed. Father, help your Christian people with their health and their marriages, or if they're single. Help them with their jobs and businesses, Father. Lord God in heaven, we pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on this world to draw all men and women and children to you. And that, Father, you would give us a grace to learn your word, wisdom and discretion, Father, to understand it. We pray for everyone that's on our prayer list, Lord God, that you'd work in their hearts. I want to especially hold up a Marilyn to you who's having the pacemaker put in tomorrow, that you'd bless her. Bless her family, Lord. Father, we want to take just a second or two to give you our unspoken prayer request, Lord. Lord, we trust in you. We look so forward to learning more about you. We ask that you'll grant us faith as we study and read your word, we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends. Boy, snow must have got to everybody, huh? No? Book of Genesis. Have you guys been finding this interesting so far? The book of Genesis? I think that it's, it's just got so much information in it that we can glean out of it. You know, it's interesting. Charles Darwin came up with the theory of evolution, which probably uh, wasn't a new theory, but you know, he basically says that mankind starts at the bottom of the heap and gets better as time goes on. When we study about Adam and Eve, we look at them as being put in this, this incredible garden, this incredible world that was perfect. They started at the very top as opposed to evolution and fell from there, didn't they? They started at the top and fell into sin, whereas, and, and that's, that explains why we are in the condition in this world that we're in. The second law of thermodynamics says that things don't stay the same, they degrade. 
And uh, if you look at, uh, for example, a piece of wood or a piece of steel, and if you leave it out in the weather for long enough, what'll happen? Well, it degrades, doesn't it? And that's just the way this life is. In Romans, it says that the whole world groans together, waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We look in Genesis and, you know, God created this beautiful world, whether you, you want to term it recreated or created. I mean, all in all, he created it. Perfect in every way. We see God putting mankind in the, in the earth on the sixth day and seeing that he needed a someone, a companion, created Eve. They were both, I believe, created equal and were to, in effect, be co-rulers, if you will, with, you know, with each other in this earth. Well, we're going to see how that changed. It all changed with sin. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and that's where we'll start. I never can tell which, which glasses I've got on. Some of them are stronger than the other. Oh, I can see now. Uh-huh. All right, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, we don't know why he was more crafty. I'm assuming that we, in this section of scripture, because Satan had entered the serpent or had used the serpent as his means of communication, that may be why he says he was more crafty. This word crafty, in the uh, in the original language, you know, has the has the idea of uh, it's it's a it's a bad connotation of being crafty. Okay, um, not a good connotation. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "So the serpent is on the earth. He's in the garden." Isn't it interesting that God creates this beautiful environment and Satan is there? Satan is there in this environment. Why God let him in? I suppose God had to give mankind a choice of the chance to use his free will. And uh, Satan certainly was anti-God as we know. You know, I'm going to read something to you out of um, Isaiah, and I just want you to listen to what this says because this, in Isaiah chapter 14, it, it is directly the thought patterns of Satan after he fell. He was created as Lucifer, which means light bearer, and became Satan, which means destroyer, after he sinned. Listen to what he says, and this is, this is a God giving Isaiah this word. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. Do you remember we talked about Satan falling from heaven uh, when he sinned? Uh, I'm sure that God 
banished him in some way, shape, or form, but still allowed him entrance into heaven uh, to, to uh, really to complain against believers is what he does. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth. Jesus said, I saw, I saw Satan fall from heaven. You who once laid low the nations. Now listen to what he says here. This is Isaiah 14. I'm in verse 13. He says, you said in your heart. These are the famous five I wills of Satan. I will ascend to heaven. Okay. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God refers to angels. I'm going to rule angels. I'm going to ascend to heaven. I'm going to rule angels. You notice he says, I will raise my throne. Who gave him a throne? That's what I want to know. He says, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. That's where God resides, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. In other words, I'm going to rule the earth. I will make myself like the Most High. I'm going to be like God. Now that was his attitude. And that was his sin. It says in Ezekiel, let me read that to you just to refresh your, your mind. In Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 20. Let's see. What is it? 28. 28. That's, that's close. Yeah, listen to what it says here. It says, you are the model of perfection, full of beauty and perfect in, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. So obviously, he was outfitted quite majestically as one of the guardians of God's throne. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, so we know Satan was a created being, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. The cherubim are some of the most powerful angels. For so I ordained you. So God ordained him as this guardian cherub. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. In other words, he got fired from his job. And I expelled you, O guardian cherub. From among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. So Satan is the original narcissist. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. 
Here's another example of him being thrown to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuary. It says, so I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching. What's Satan's final end? Like lake of fire, huh? Yeah. So we've got this, we're in the garden. We're in perfect environment. Adam's got everything going for him. He is intelligent. He has named the plants, the animals. And God said, great, whatever you want to name them is great. What I want you to do is I want you to work. But it was a good type of work. Have you ever done something that is a good work? You know, it's, it's something that you enjoy. When I get on my tractor, I, I don't even feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm playing, right? So when Adam was told to work the ground, it wasn't hard labor like what we know because God caused it all to grow. He caused it to flourish. Really, the work that Adam had to do was probably pick the fruit off the ground and eat it, or off the tree and eat it. That's probably, that's probably the extent of his work. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. Not sure why, but it could be because of, his, of, of Satan's affiliation with this serpent. We know that the serpent is representative of Satan because, of course, in other places it says so. He, the serpent, said to the woman... So, this serpent is able to talk, or Satan is able to talk through the serpent. You know, you do wonder about, were there other animals that were able to talk? I, I, I'm guessing there weren't, but Satan was indwelling this serpent, so he talked. He says this, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So he's very slick here. He doesn't say, did God, did God really say you must not eat of that one tree? No, he says, did God say you couldn't eat of any tree? Well, the woman, now what should the woman have done? The woman should not have given this any place in her life because what does it say? It says to flee from Satan uh, resist Satan, he will flee from you. But she didn't do that. She engaged Satan. Did God really say? Did he really say that? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So, we're not sure. We know that God gave this command directly to Adam, right? Because we see that in chapter 2. So, we're assuming that Adam told Eve about the prohibition. Maybe God reiterated it to Adam and Eve again. I don't know. But in any event, she knew. And so the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, 
But God did say, the problem is God didn't say what she's about ready to say. What did God say in chapter 2, okay, verse um, 17, 16, and the Lord God commanded the man. Okay, so not the woman, right? He commanded the man. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So she repeats this, but she adds to it. She said, God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will surely die. He didn't, we don't have a record of him saying, you will not touch it. Now, what does Satan do in verse 4? Well, in verse 3, Eve has just tweaked the Word of God. Okay, she's just added something to the Word of God. Now, Satan's going to deny the Word of God completely right here. He says, you will not surely die. What did God say? You will surely die. What did Satan say? You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow. So Satan is tempting Eve with the very same sin that he committed before God. You'll be like God. I want to be like God. I want to be worshipped. You'll be smart like God. You know, I'm sure that the subtle inference here was, listen, um, you know, I, I know God's a good guy and all that stuff, but he knows that if you eat of this tree, you're going to be like him. You're going to know what he knows. And I'm kind of thinking that maybe he doesn't want you to do that because he, he doesn't want you to, to ascend to his level. He kind of wants to keep you on this level. So he's imp- you, you know he's, Satan is impugning God's character because that's what Satan does. I think very subtly here, he's impugning God's character. He is appealing to Eve's um, sense of uh, intrigue here. All right? You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it... So he's, he's purporting to speak now God's mind. Oh, God knows. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, certainly their eyes were opened. You know what's interesting about this? This is where conscience came in. Man didn't have a conscience before this. Didn't need one. He didn't know sin. Eve didn't know sin. Adam didn't know sin. They didn't know what sin was like. They were created perfectly. All they knew was was fellowship with God. The good things about God. the, The wonderful walking in the spirit with God. That's all they knew. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So this is all, 
really, you know, what does it say? Listen, I'm going to read something to you out of James, okay? If this doesn't go right along with it, I don't know what does. Listen to this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So let's take that formula right now and apply it to Eve. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. So Eve looks at the tree. She's thinking, you know, that's a good-looking fruit. It looks good. Don't see anything wrong with it. It was pleasing to the eye. And, you know, the serpent just told me it was desirable for gaining wisdom. So who did she believe? She believed the serpent rather than God. So what did she do? Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away from God's word and enticed. What was the enticement? Well, the enticement was when Satan said, oh, no, 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 you won't die. Then after desire has conceived, when the desire in your mind says, go for it. Go for it. When she in her mind said, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. And that's, ex what's that? James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Okay. So we see here then, when the woman saw that the fruit, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, that's the lust of the eyes for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So we've got the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What is the pride of life here? Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be wise, right? It says she took some and ate it. Now, she was in the middle of the garden. Satan had confronted her. Both of the trees were there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate of it. Now, this is interesting. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Now, we would think, okay, that as soon as Eve ate it, her eyes would be open, wouldn't we? But Eve was deceived and Adam sinned willingly. Eve was deceived, the serpent deceived her. And in effect... Now, this is going to sound weird. In effect, that was not the first sin. The first outright sin, why not? Well, because God did not command the woman, did he? Who did he command? 
the man. He commanded the man, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So what happens is the man takes a bite of the apple, he disregards God's direct command and order, and what happened? It says, um, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Wow. Now all of a sudden, conscience comes in. Okay? Conscience, they had not, and no need for conscience before this. So, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for, their, for themselves. What's God got to do with that right there? Okay, but where, what's God got to do with this? Nothing. Yeah. God's got nothing to do with this, right? They sewed the fig leaves together. They were covering their own shame. And this is going to be important because God's going to provide a covering for them. It's called atonement. Okay? Now, it says here, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. Sin causes us to hide from the Lord. Yes. No, the you know the the, the union was sanctioned um, up in chapter two, verse twenty-four. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Well, Adam didn't have a father and mother, so this is something that God is speaking for future generations, right? Future people. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now all of a sudden they felt shame. You know, and you wonder, why, why would they feel shame? I mean, they were used to being naked. So it, go ahead, Lee. Well, you know, the one thing, I, I heard a theologian say this one time about, about that verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. His, his comment was that they, they actually glowed with the pristine glory. And that's something we can expect when, when, we're, when this salvation, when our salvation is completed. It's and, actually a glow. And they lost that glow. Yeah. Oh, that's a, good, that's a good point, huh? Maybe they lost the glow. And that's what made him ashamed. No glow. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, not, much, there's not much glowing now, is there? Uh-huh. Okay, so they hid from the Lord, God among the, of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? You know, it's interesting, in Romans chapter 3, let me read something to you, okay? Um, and I'll be in verse 10, Romans 3.10. Let me get to it real quick. Here's what it says. 
There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become together worthless. There is not one who does good, not even one. I am giving you this because Adam and Eve hid from the Lord, and it was the Lord that sought them out. They didn't seek the Lord out. The Lord sought them out, right? It says, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouth, mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Think about that for just a minute, my friends. That's what one sin caused. One sin. One act of disobedience against God's command caused all that grief. Now, we go on. It says, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. This is Adam speaking. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, that would be God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you been have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Well, of course, God knew he had eaten from it, right? I mean, God knows everything. So what was God doing here? Well, God is, God is searching out after Adam, and he is searching for what? Repentance. Searching for repentance. What would have been changed, if you think about this, what... What in the whole story would have been changed if Adam would have come up and said, kneeled down in front of God and said, Lord God, I am so sorry. I ate of the tree. I confess to you that I sinned. I disobeyed your command. I, I, I'm asking you to forgive me for my sin or, or, or for this wrongdoing, whatever. You know, Adam didn't know to call it sin at that point in time, right? And what would have been different? Well, certainly something would have been different, right? Something would have been different. Maybe it would have been man's attitude that would have been different. Listen to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Here's what it says. Isaiah 59, verse 2, as soon as I find it. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin now has caused a rift between Adam and Eve and God. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is very sad. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. What do you see in that verse? 
Yeah, first of all, Adam's coming up with an excuse. Who does he blame? Really, who does he blame first? Hmm? Well, he kind of blames God first. The woman you gave me. The woman you put in here, she's the one screwed up. <laughs> she gave me some fruit of the, from the tree, and I ate it. Wow. That is the exact opposite, of, I'm sure, of what God wanted to hear, right? Then, verse 13, the Lord said to the woman. So he's already talked to the man. He knows where the man's heart is. What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, well, that's a true statement. The serpent did deceive her. She did ate. You know what? She didn't have to eat. She didn't have to. So the Lord God said to the serpent, so now he deals with the serpent. He hasn't dealt with the man and the woman yet, right? Hasn't dealt with them yet. But he's going to deal with the serpent first. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, you'll notice here that God only curses the serpent. He does not curse Adam and he does not curse Eve. But he does curse the ground, doesn't he? We go on. It says, I will put enmity, okay, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Now, offspring here, I believe, is in the singular, which would lead us to believe that he's talking about the coming Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay? I will put, he's talking to the serpent here, okay? Still talking to the serpent. I will put enmity. What is enmity? Opposition, hostility. Uh, you know, enemy would be a, a you know, a, a close. I will put enmity between you, that's the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, that's Satan's offspring, and hers. Let me see what Galatians 4.4 says, because I've got that marked in my Bible, but I don't know what it says. So let me see. Maybe it'll be a, a, a jewel that we'll... We'll need to hear Galatians 4, 4. What does it say? It says, but when, oh, okay, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. What did he say? Your offspring to the woman. Born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. So this is the fulfillment, if you will, of this prophecy. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is a future, right? And between your offspring and hers. Well, 
Satan's offspring, I suppose we could say, is unbelievers. No, not yet. Okay? You just can't wait to get to that, can you? It says, he... Okay, now this is interesting. Let's, let's look at this again. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring... And then it goes to say, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. When we think about... Jesus Christ being the woman's offspring, which Galatians 4.4 just said Jesus Christ was, right? He was the offspring of the woman. Was Jesus Christ the offspring of the man? No, he wasn't. Why? Because what? Because God was the father, that's right. And, and Adam, in, in Romans chapter, oh, what, um, let me see if I can find that. I'll find it. In Romans, I think it's chapter 5. Let me look and see. Romans chapter 5. Let me see. Yeah. Listen to this. Therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man. How did sin enter the world? Through one man. What was the name of the man? Adam. And death entered the world through sin. And in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Adam was the one that sinned willfully and willingly. Therefore, he was the one, in essence, that was to blame for the first sin. Now, Eve was complicit in that, of course, but the sin nature that, unfortunately, everyone is born with comes through the man because that's where sin came. It came through the man. Now... Why is the virgin birth so important? Because if Mary was um, conceived by God, right? And miraculously, supernaturally, and not by a human man, then her offspring in Jesus Christ was not born with an old sin nature. Because the old sin nature comes through the man not through the woman. So the virgin birth is so important because Jesus Christ was born without an old sin nature. So now he has all the tools to be able to be the savior. And he's the only one that has the tools. You see, if he is born without an old sin nature and he does not commit any sins, then he has taken over where Adam left off, okay? Adam was a perfect human being until he sinned, and Jesus Christ proved, okay, proved that man, human beings, including Adam, could have done it by walking in the Spirit every day and obeying the Lord could end up being a perfect man.
And Jesus Christ was and is the perfect man, which qualified him to go to the cross and die in the place of all imperfect men, women, and children, because he was perfect. He satisfied God perfectly. All right, now, so just, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Now, we go on in Genesis. So, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, singular, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Well, we know that Christ is going to crush Satan's head, right? It hasn't been done yet, but it will be done at the second advent when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, along with the false prophet and the Antichrist. And in this sense of Satan's offspring, the Antichrist definitely qualifies as Satan's offspring. Okay? Now, now we get to the punishment part. To the woman, he said in verse 16, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So, by the woman we're going to see the Savior. We're going to see the removal of the curse. And we're going to see paradise regained through the offspring of the woman, aren't we? Now, so what do we got here? I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Now, this has a, a kind of a double-edged sword here. Generally speaking, I'm talking generally speaking, where is the woman's greatest sense of accomplishment? Is it not to raise a family? Okay, raise a family successfully, uh, to be a good wife, um, to be a good mother, etc. So even though God gave her this um, judgment, if you will, this will also serve to bring her happiness. Right? Now, so with pain you shall give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Well, this is a change because uh, in chapter 2, you know, it says, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. Helper. Eve was to be a helper, okay? Equal to Adam with her own uh, uh, characteristics, her own abilities, etc., etc. Now she is to be in submission to Adam, okay? Yes, yes. It's kind of like a natural, up here, she's in conflict with Adam now. She's, she's not necessarily the help me as originally intended, but she has a tendency to want to control. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
to Adam. Verse 17, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, quote, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So he gives, he gives quite a punishment to Adam. He says, you know, what used to be easy for you is now going to be hard. All right? I asked you, I told you to, to be fruitful and multiply, to take care of the things that I've created. I made it easy for you. Now it's going to be hard. Now this is very interesting because listen to what Galatians 3.13 says. Let me find it here real quick first. Galatians. Come on. Galatians 3, 13. Here's what it says. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You with me on that? The law itself, the law of Moses itself said, cursed is everyone who doesn't keep every point of this law. What does that tell you? We're all cursed, right? Because nobody kept the point of the law except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ kept the law, so that curse did not apply to him. But it says here, it says, um, where am I at here? Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What does it say? Now, here we go, here we go. Okay, this is what I'm looking for. The law is not based on faith, but the righteous will live by faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Listen to this. So in Genesis, God curses the ground, right? Says it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce thorns and thistles. You're going to have to get your food from it, whereas before, all he had to do was, was pick fruit off the trees, etc. God provided for him. Here's what it says. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're all cursed, right? Because we didn't keep the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. What was, how did this problem start? It started with a tree, didn't it? What's the solution? The solution is going to be found on a tree, the same tree that Jesus was crucified on. God cursed the ground because of man, but Christ becomes the curse for us. And there's more. Let me, let me continue on. It says here, through painful toil, 
you will eat of it all the days of your life. Painful toil may be um, translated sorrow in your Bible. Okay, because that's what it means. It's sorrow. What does it say in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3? That Jesus Christ was what? A man of sorrows, wasn't he? He was a man of sorrows. So as God tells Adam, through painful sorrow, you're going to eat of the ground. Jesus Christ became the sorrowful one for us. It says here, the next verse, it says, it will produce thorns and thistles from you. What happened to Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 15 or John chapter 19? After he had been judged and declared guilty, what did they do? They placed a crown of thorns on his head. So Jesus Christ identified with the thorns, didn't he? Yeah. So he tells Adam, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And Jesus Christ identifies with us and Adam by wearing the crown of thorns. You will eat the plants of the, of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. What do we see in Luke chapter 22, verse 44? What happened to the sweat on Jesus' brow? He sweat great drops of blood. That's what it says, huh? So he tells Adam, God tells Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. And by the sweat of Jesus Christ's brow brow, and the blood mixed with it, he underwent that terrible time in the garden preceding the cross. And remember something about this, okay? Everything Jesus Christ went through was to fix this problem that Adam caused. One sin. Everything Jesus Christ went through was to fix that one sin, which, because of the way it worked out, was imputed to every single human being that would ever live on the face of the earth. That one sin. That one sin became the sin nature or the nature of sin, which we all have. I mean, what an incredible decision that Adam made to disobey God. Was there consequences from that decision? Is there consequences for us when we disobey God? That's why on Sunday morning I've been been really emphasizing we need to be obedient to God. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about, oh, I can't have any fun in life. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to walk? You've given me advice in your word of what to do and what not to do. Help me to not do the things that you told me not to do because I know that that will be disobedience and help me to do the things that you told me to do. What does God tell us to do? God tells us to 
learn about Him, to grow in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to direct our lives around Him and His Word, to get ready for heaven. Because this life is short. This life isn't even a drop in the bucket in the ocean compared to eternity. This life is more important than eternity. Why? Because in this life, we can direct how we're going to spend eternity. But once we get to eternity, it's a done deal. Are you with me on all this? That's why it's so important here. Adam's sin was devastating. It was not only devastating to God, but it was devastating to the human race. And we go on. It says in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve, which is uh, translated giver of, of life. Okay? Isha. Because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What had they done previously? Fig leaves. So Adam and Eve made fig leaves, we know, for themselves, right? But God didn't accept that. That was human works trying to cover their sin and shame. Human works can never cover human sin and shame. So God makes new garments for them, and it says he makes skin, skins, they're made out of skins. Now, let's read on, and then we're going to come back to it. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God knew that if he didn't banish Adam and Eve from, from the garden and they took and ate from that fruit of that tree, that they would live in their sin condition forever and he had a different plan. God had a different plan for sin, for redeeming man. The plan would be what? Jesus Christ. Yeah, this shows a lot of love, don't it? I mean, God could have just said, I'm going to create something else. That didn't work out very well. God's love here is really expressed to Adam and Eve and his progeny. So it says, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, what happened here in verse 21? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God is already providing for Adam and Eve. They're sinners. They have disobeyed God. And he is providing for them. He is not in any way asking them to depend upon their own works. In fact, he has rejected 
the first works that they tried to do, which was to make clothing out of fig leaves. But what's the point here? Here's the point. God showed Adam and Eve the sacrifice that was going to be needed that eventually would point to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no, what? Remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Why is that? I mean, you know, unfortunately, Christianity, as well as the Jewish religion, is a bloody religion, isn't it? I mean, it is bloody. Why? Why do we say that? Well, because Christ had to shed his blood in order to redeem us. Why? Because anything less than that would have been something imperfect. It would have been man's goodness or man's efforts to try to redeem himself. Jesus Christ, again, born without a sin nature, growing up as an infant, being taught by his parents the Old Testament, the Word of God, being taken to the temple and being exposed to all of the temple teaching. Jesus Christ put together through his parents' teaching and through the teaching in the temple the, what the sacrifices were all about, what they meant. Jesus Christ knew that he was going to be that ultimate sacrifice for sin. He did not know, I don't believe he knew what pain it was going to inflict because Jesus Christ went to the cross as a man, as a human being. He did not go to the cross as God because God can't die, can he? Only man can die. God can't die. So God did not die on the cross. Jesus Christ in his humanity died on the cross. And Jesus Christ as being the perfect human being, sinless, blameless, completely just and justified, propitiating the Father, satisfying the Father's righteous demands in everything he thought, Everything he said and everything he did was the perfect sacrifice, the lamb without any blemish. That's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. Now, so let me get back to my point. So God took Adam and Eve and he took a lamb or some animal, probably, well, it had to be some type of a lamb or or a ram, or maybe, you know, something that he could make animal skins. Let's hope it was lamb skin. A little softer on the old body than uh, cow skin, okay? And he showed Adam and Eve that a sacrifice would be necessary to cover their shame. Right? He sacrificed the animal probably burnt it. He took the skins of the animal and covered their shame, which was a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
covering our, the shame of our sins. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. Now, we get to the point here where we see some problems, okay? Here we go. Yes. Um, let's see, chapter two, hold on. Woman. Uh, yes, correct. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Isha. Isha is the is the Greek for woman. Let me see. I've got a I've got a reference here. Let me look it up real quick. First Corinthians eleven eight. I think I gotta I gotta get a magnifying glass. This Bible's too small. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Let me just see what it says. I write these things in my Bible, but sometimes, okay, so, uh, hold on just a second here. Okay, can you hear me okay? All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, here's what it says. It says, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. I think, Steve, that he changed the name because, um, you know, the, the word woman means taken out of man, and the word Eve means mother of living. So, you know, when God said to Eve that in pain you're going to give childbirth, et cetera, et cetera, the idea came that we're going to be parents. We're going to have kids, and she is going to be the mother of the living. That's just a guess, but it's probably a, a, fairly, a fairly decent guess. All right. So now, so he, he, he abandons, I shouldn't say abandoned, he banishes Adam and Eve out of the garden and places cherubim there to make sure that they don't come back in, right? Okay, now, chapter 4, verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now, she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, they also had other kids, lots and lots of other kids. And yes, Cain did marry one of his sisters, okay? Just in case that was a question. Now, it says, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but
But Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on favor with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, so here's what we know, is we know there's still a personal relationship here, isn't there? Okay. We know that God is still communicating with man. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Good question. I mean, isn't that a good question? Why are you angry, Cain? Listen, if you, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So what is all this about? Well, Adam and Eve were shown the way of sacrifice to have fellowship with God, were they not? Now, you can bet that they showed that probably under instruction from God to their children. Abel knew, Cain knew exactly what the Lord had taught their father and their mother concerning sacrifice and probably the meaning behind the sacrifice. So what does Cain do here? Well, Cain completely disregards what the Lord wanted him to bring, and he brings something of his own choosing. He chooses what to bring. And what he chooses is he chooses the works of his own hands, doesn't he? Chooses the works of his own hands. No sacrifice here, no bloodletting, no remission of sins. What does Abel do? Well, Abel goes and does exactly what his mother and father taught him to do. He sacrifices, uh, does it say what he sacrificed? Let's see. It says that he kept flocks. So the firstborn of his flocks, or whatever this flock was, maybe it was a flock of, a, of lamb. Do, do lambs have, are they called flocks? Yeah, yeah. They are? Okay. So lambs are flocks, so maybe this was a lamb. Cattle were heard, okay. Um, so he brings this offering to God, and we know that the offering is killed. Why? Because he brings the fat portions. He brings the fat portions of the... Um, hold on here, let me find it. The firstborn of his flock. So he takes the best of the best... He sacrifices it to God as an offering, and he brings that offering to God. He is obeying exactly what God set up as a type, as the, what the future was going to be. Because remember something, everything in the Old Testament is a picture of the new, something in the New Testament. All of the offerings we see in Leviticus, Numbers, and and throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. And these offerings all spoke of Jesus Christ. Right? But what does Cain do? Cain completely disregards what God wanted him to do. He disregards what his parents had taught him. And he brings what he wants. 
And it says that God did not look with favor on his offering. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And God says to Cain, why are you angry? That's a good question. You know what? What should Cain have been? What should Cain have done? Cain brings this offering to the Lord, right? And the Lord's not pleased with it. Repent. Lord, what do you... I'm sorry, Lord. I, Gosh, I, I brought you the first fruits of my lettuce. But what, what... Do you remember what I taught your parents? Do you remember what I said about there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood? That's what I want you to... And it is pride, right? I mean, it's pride. It's pride. And if you look at it, it was Satan's pride that caused him to rebel against God. It was Eve's pride that caused her to be deceived. It was Adam's pride that caused him to sin. And now we see Cain's pride. He, he just doesn't want to follow the Lord. He didn't want to do what the Lord wanted him to do. But that was for... That was for a different offering, though. Okay. Yeah, and, and Steve and I are both dispensationalists, too. That's a different dispensation. When you get into law, things change a little bit. Yeah, and, and God had offerings for different things. And now, Adam was a tiller of the soil, too. It doesn't talk about Adam raising any animals. Adam worked the ground also. Cain worked the ground. It probably has more to do with Cain than it does with what he brought. Well, no, it's both. I think it's both. I mean, it was change effort. It was Well, it says here. It says, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So there was something in Cain's personage that God was not looking unfavorable. So I think you're right. Yeah. No. Well, and not only that, but how valuable is a living thing compared to a piece of produce? Yeah. But but it still comes down. The primary uh, inference here is rebellion. Yes. Absolutely. He's rebellion. He is. So let's go on. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast?" The right thing for Cain to say would be, "Lord, I am sorry. I screwed up." Um, yeah, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. He should have done the same thing that Adam did, or that Adam should have done, which was confess your sins to God, and he is faithful and just to forgive you for your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It says, but, so here's the contrast. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? That's a question. The answer to that question is, yes, you will be. If you do what's right, you will be accepted. But... If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Did Cain master it? No. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Wow. 
Now you wonder, how did he kill him? And I, I don't know. The Bible really doesn't say. But you can bet that there was some type of a sharp instrument that was used to kill the lamb, to skin the lamb, some type of a flint knife or something. And I'm sure that Cain, in harvesting his produce and etc., had to use some type of a sharp instrument for some of his produce. It might have been a rock. Well, it might have been, yeah. And so, you know, just conjecturing, okay, just conjecturing, Cain takes Adam out to the field where he can't be seen, okay, where there's nobody there, takes out that sharp rock and kills his brother. Well, what happened? It says in verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Okay. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, first of all, what does it say about Satan? He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning, right? What are we seeing about Cain here? He's a murderer and a liar. In fact, I believe it's in Jude. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, Hold on. In Jude, it talks about Cain. Let me tell you what it says. Jude. Yeah, listen to this. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Cain, and there's other things. Let me see if there's something else about Cain. Hey, let me see here. Hold on. So Cain... This is my notes that I wrote, okay? Cain refused to kill an animal to portray the death of Christ, but he committed a murder with no problem at all. He didn't want to kill an animal to portray the death of Christ, but he didn't have any problem killing his brother. Yeah. You know something? You know, since since the Lord told Eve that through her the Savior would come, you know, the 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 three fifteen. The seed, yeah. The seed. She thought Cain was the Savior. I have born a man. Then that man proceeds to kill the second born. He was probably controlled by Satan when he did that. Oh, I think so. He was trying to. He was trying to stop this plan. Well, and. Yes, and what we will get into here, because this is the genesis of it, okay, (laughs) sorry, Uh, is that this is one of the first of Satan's attempt to try to thwart that plan of God of the appointed seed coming, the appointed seed of Jesus Christ coming. Well, we're uh, going to start with Cain next week, okay, because it is very interesting Cain is banished. He is put, there's a mark put on him. Um, and he ends up being not a very nice person at all. That's right. Yeah. I, I, would, I would just like to make one little color, one little color comment. The, the word Lord spelled with capital letters is first introduced in your Bible in... Uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, I think it's verse 4. Prior to that, it's God, which is Elohim. 
But whenever you see the word Lord, that is God's name. It capital left in cap, in all caps. That's either Yahweh or Jehovah. That's just something to consider when you're reading through the Bible. Uh, in the English, in the English translations, it's just capitalized. Gotcha. Yeah, that in the is. New Testament, when you see Lord with the capital L with small caps, that's Adonai, which means master. But yeah, it is it is all in caps, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's in small caps yeah, in like my that. Bible. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. But, but I think in the original KJV it was Jehovah. Oh, could be. Yeah. Okay. Questions? Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for showing us the devastation of what one sin can bring. Please, Lord God, help us not to sin against you. Help us to obey you in everything we do. Help us to walk in your spirit. Help us to know your word so we'll know what you want us to do. We will promise to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, we'll see you Sunday. I hope that was, uh, yes. She she fell down.